There are a couple of guaranteed 100% going to be asked questions that you should probably be prepared for, like your sexual history and your drug and alcohol use history. So give that some thought over, I don't know, the first decade of your kid's life, but really think about at some point they're going to spring those on you. And you do not, as Vanessa says all the time, you do not have to share your entire past history. You do not have to download everything. There are ways, and Vanessa can do a great line about how to say you're not going to share, but don't lie. Never lie. I've got a question for you. What's your relationship with puberty? You know that inescapable part of every human's experience marked by body changes, emotional swings, awkward stages... Personally, I do not look back on my journey through puberty with a whole lot of fondness. Yet being that it is part of every child's developmental process, puberty is something that we as parents and actually any adult supporting children are going to want to deeply understand. We want to help our kids navigate it in a way that preserves their sense of self-worth, their body confidence, and their emotional, physical, and mental safety. And what I've learned from my guests for today's show Dr. Cara Natterson and Vanessa Kroll Bennett, modern puberty is not the same puberty you and I went through however many years ago. Cara and Vanessa wrote all about it in their wonderful new book, This is So Awkward, Modern Puberty Explained, which goes through the science between all that's happening at this stage in a kid's life and also provides insights into how adults can talk to kids about it. Because even talking about all things puberty with our kids can feel super awkward and super uncomfortable for them and for us. But luckily, Cara and Vanessa are here to hold our hand through it all and provide us with the facts, language, and strategies for helping us navigate these conversations in this phase of life with confidence and calm. A quick background about my guest, Dr. Cara Natterson is a pediatrician, consultant, and New York Times bestselling author of a number of books including The Care and Keeping of You from American Girl, which has more than 7 million copies in print. Vanessa Kroll Bennett is a puberty educator and writer, a podcaster, and an entrepreneur who helps adults navigate uncertainty while they support the kids they love. Vanessa is the founder of Dynamo Girl, a company focused on building kids' self-esteem through sports, puberty education, and parent workshops. Together, Cara and Vanessa host the Puberty Podcast, run Order of Magnitude, the leading brand dedicated to flipping puberty positive. And of course, they co-wrote the book we're talking about today. Perhaps their biggest cred, they say, however, is that between them, they parent six teens. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too, and that you get a lot out of it. Hey, Karen, Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I also have to just say I like talking to two people. It's a more challenging interview sometimes, but more fun and dynamic and double the joy. So anyway, this should be a good conversation. We're going to be talking about your book on puberty, which I said before I hit record, I just think is so fantastic. But I would like to know how you two came together to write this in the first place. What made you say we have to get this out into the world? See, having two of us, what you're going to see is not only do we talk 
on top of each other, but we also finish each other's sentences. We are on Zoom all day, every day. We live on opposite ends of the country, but we are together all day, every day. So Vanessa and I were brought together by a friend of mine from summer camp. How's that? This is true story. So my background is that I'm a pediatrician turned writer. I've written a bunch of parenting books and then a bunch of middle grade reader books about bodies. And Vanessa, I will let Vanessa tell her own story, but I will jump to the part where Vanessa became a wildly popular puberty educator. And my camp friend was in one of her early, early sessions and called me afterwards and said, you must meet this woman. She is you, just younger and East Coast. And I I met Vanessa and because I'm the third of four, I instantly decided I needed to tell her what she was going to do with her life. And because she's the third of four, she instantly said, fine, then do it with me. And now we have a podcast together and a company together and we do everything together. So we sort of mutually push each other around. Vanessa, does that sound right? That sounds right. I mean, the book itself, we, as you do, Debbie, read every single book that comes out about kids, for adults, for educators, like we are constantly ingesting every piece of data, research, and guidance we can. And what we noticed is there are a lot of amazing puberty books out there and books about adolescents out there. Carr's written a ton of them. But there wasn't like a modern puberty book. There wasn't an updated book that combined up-to-date science and research, which is super important, with a lot of like relatable scripting and language in terms of what to say and how to say it with kids. And so often, and I'm sure you get this question too, it's like, but what do I say? And how do I say it? And where should I be when I say it, right? (laughs) What should I be wearing? (laughs) It's a very granular question. Clothing. But it was, it was like a sign to us that even though we do the podcast and even do, though we do with the newsletter, people want something to carry around with them and to go back to and to dip into time after time for that specific piece of information or that little piece of guidance and just feel comforted that we're kind of along with them for the ride. Yeah, that's great. And it it feels that way. And as you guys were introducing yourself, Cara, I'm remembering that you... Was it American Girl, The Care and Keeping of You, right? So, I mean, that book, I remember it so well. I used to write books for teen and tween girls back before I started Tilt Parenting and before I knew I was raising a neurodivergent human and totally pivoted my life. But I love the American Girl books. And that book in particular was just so critical and important. I'm sure it's still doing so well today. Yeah. Uh, It just turned 25. And I know, and it's celebrating its 25th birthday. And I'm allowed to say now, I wasn't allowed to say for a very long time that a new edition is coming out in January. So an updated, and then the follow-up book, which is for older kids, Care and Keeping of You 2, very creative title, it's 10. And so it too is going to have an updated version. So it's pretty exciting. And they've sold like millions and millions of copies. Like these are cult and Cara's written books for boys and about boys, some under care and keeping of you, but not to, under American Girl. And the other one is Decoding Boys, which is about 
raising teen boys. So she, when I say she's written many of the books that people use, she has truly written many of the books that people use. Yeah, that is really awesome. And the accessibility of your new book, This Is So Awkward, that's one of the things I loved about it was it's organized with these recurring elements in every chapter. You know exactly what you're going to get. It's bite-sized. It's doable. It's practical. Like It ticked all the boxes for me. I think that's why I got so excited reading it because a lot of the books that we as parents are asked to consume, they're really heavy and overwhelming and you don't know how to even engage with them. I so appreciate you noticing that. It's how our brains work, right? We, Vanessa and I are planners and we like predictability. It's every topic related to puberty, right? From body stuff to brain stuff to relationships, emotional stuff. And it starts with the science. And then the second section is what has changed over the past couple of generations, which is a very important piece to all this because we think we're bringing our puberty history to the table in order to get our kids through this or the kids in our lives through this. And the truth is that a lot has changed. And then comes the section that was never going to exist in this book without Vanessa. And that section is how to talk about it because this woman is genius at the scripting of conversation and really framing one topic in 25 different ways because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? And the issues shift and change over time. And then the best part of every chapter is the very end, which is called, what is it, from Kids Just Out the Other Side. And these are written essays written by 18 to 22-year-olds with advice to the adults, like, this is what works when you talk about acne, and this is not helpful. And it's storytelling, and it's profound, and it's a reminder that they've just been through it. You haven't. Yeah, I love that section as well. Just that reminder that it's just a very different experience our kids are having. Like, I still kind of can hear my husband having a conversation with my now 19 year old. Well, I remember when I was your age, I'm like, no, don't, do not go there. No, <laughs> don't do it. Jumping on the grenade, yeah, Debbie. Right. You're like, take cover. Exactly. <laughs> so, centering the voices of young people who are just through it or maybe still be going through some of these things, I think is so important. The subtitle is Modern Puberty Explained. That implies, again, that it is different from the puberty that we all went through. So, you touch upon that within every chapter, what's changed in the past 20, 30 years, but are there some kind of general things that you could share with us of why this isn't the puberty that we have any kind of context for? Yeah, so Kara can explain the medical and biological evolution, and then we can talk about how that actually impacts day-to-day lives. Yeah, I mean, the quick answer on the science side is the data we had about when puberty began comes from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And that data showed that kids entered puberty if you're genetically female around age 11, and if you're genetically male around age 11 and a half. And the data that was collected starting in the late 1990s through 2010 showed that that time was marching backwards. We have known since 2010 that the average girl in this country enters puberty between eight and nine. And we have known since 2012 that the average boy in this country enters puberty between nine and 10. 
Debbie, and this is this is an even more complex issue for the population that your podcast addresses, but the disconnect between the way a child looks, you know, how they present an appearance to the world versus where they are developmentally and where their brain is on the spectrum of development and in, in this age range can be vast. I mean, you can have a kid who looks 16 who is 12 years old, or you can have a 10-year-old who looks 14. And so one of the things that we really emphasize in the book is that you have to understand where a kid is in their development and in their being rather than looking at them and assuming from the outside, you know exactly who they are and how old they are and how to speak to them and how to treat them because there's a huge disconnect between those two things in the current reality. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about asynchronous development, just in terms of like, it could be the cognitive development versus social emotional could be at different places. But now we throw in the physical with that. And it's very complicated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the physical is driven by hormones and the hormones circulate around the brain and they have a direct impact on moods and emotions. And so now it gets mixed up in a muddy mess. And we hear from parents, Debbie, who are like, why is my 10-year-old acting like a teenager? And because they have the hormones that you might have expected a teenager to have, right? If you have a 10-year-old who's really in puberty, they might be behaving in the way you expected them to behave when they were 14, except because puberty starts earlier, those behaviors, those hormonal shifts, those mood swings will start to present earlier. And the funny thing, funny and not haha, but interesting, is that puberty is not happening faster. In fact, it's happening slower for many kids. And so it's now almost a decade as opposed to the three or four awkward years that we think of when we were going through puberty. Oh, it's like, you know, middle school and then it's over. Uh uh-uh. uh. It is a long, long journey. That means that people are having many, many, many more conversations with the kids under their roofs and in their classrooms because all of a sudden a decade involves a whole variety of topics that people assume they didn't need to cover under the umbrella of puberty. Yes. Yeah, I did find that shocking when you said that earlier and longer. And that is something I think we all need to just know and kind of lean into because it is happening. Vanessa's waiting for me to just say that I was desperate to name the book Puberty is Stretching Like Taffy. (laughs) And I thought it was such a great image. And Vanessa and every single other human involved with this book was like, Cara, go be alone with your title, but that's not the title of the book. But that that is the the image to hold in your mind is it really has stretched like taffy. It works with 20 minutes of context, (laughs) but it doesn't work (laughs) just like cold. But now, Debbie, you can appreciate how meaningful that line is. But no one would have bought that book, Cara. So I'm glad we we got to This Is So Awkward instead. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine like the marketing meeting with the publishing company. Yeah. That- I have the cover in my brain. If anyone ever wants to see it, I can She kept sending it, yes. images of like something being stretched, <laughs> happy being shut. We're like, okay, Cara, thanks. <laughs> That's hilarious. I want to talk a little bit more about how you hope parents interact with the book and why you want them to. And we'll do that right after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. 
And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Okay, so I'd love to know about the audience for this book. I think with so many things, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know that we need something until we realize, oh, crap, I needed that five years ago. Like, can you talk about why it's so important that parents have access to this information? And how do we encourage them to engage with it? I'm going to hand the baton to Vanessa in one second. But I'm just going to start with the word parents, because we almost never use it in our book. Because this is a book that's for every adult who is helping to raise or guide tweens and teens. And a lot of those adults are not parents. They might be teachers, mentors, coaches. They might be healthcare providers. They might be therapists. They might be aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. So with that framing, I'm going to hand to Vanessa, who's going to give you the how to use it guide. I mentioned earlier, we don't want people to feel pressure to read the whole book in one sitting. We hope that it's engaging enough and interesting enough 
Kara explains really complex science in very relatable and fun ways. And Debbie, you've experienced that firsthand because you've read it already. But we want people to be able to dip in and dip out, right? So if they're like, oh, you know what? My kid's got a crop of acne on their forehead for the first time, and I'm not sure how to talk about it. Let me pick up the book. Or my kid was asking me about like why they're having trouble controlling themselves in class, and they feel like all they want to do is talk to their friends. Then pick up the chapter on brain development. So we want people to feel like they can use it as a sort of a guide, the great big book of puberty. That was actually a title we thought about. So that's number one. Number two is there's nothing inappropriate about the book for any kid or adolescent to read. So some of the science and some of the language is more elevated and more complicated, but we would encourage adults who don't actually know the answer to a kid's question on a particular subject to sit down with a kid and look together at a particular paragraph or at a particular piece of information so that it becomes a trusted place to go. And finally, we want people to feel a sense of relief that they are going to make mistakes and that it's okay and that there are many, many, many opportunities to cover these topics, to try different strategies, to do it in new ways and to cut themselves a break. Like we are under so much pressure to get it right. And we just want people to feel like, okay, I messed that one up. I'm going to try it again. and I'm going to do it in a new way. So most of all, Debbie, I would say it's just reassurance. It's reassurance with information and it's reassurance that you're not going to get it perfect, but at least you'll give it a shot, which is most important. Yeah. I like that in the beginning of the book, you talk about how, I can't remember which one of you, maybe it was you, Vanessa, you had a conversation in the car with your child and you realized, oh, I totally blew that. And then you went back and you revisited the conversation. And so just that permission in that example is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, we say not if you mess up, but when you mess up, because we have blown it more times than we can count. And we do this for a living. And we don't hold ourselves up as paradigms of perfection, but rather people in the trenches with everyone else just trying to do the best they can. And I think often people are afraid to enter into these conversations because they don't want to mess up and they think that's like going to scar their kid. But the messing up is great. It's just repairing it and correcting it and circling back. That's the most important. Yeah. And I just want to say too, your book touches upon sex and porn and those topics, which are really important. We've talked about them on the show. We've done content with Amy Lang, a sex educator on that. And that has a lot of feelings for parents, like a fear around having those conversations. But there's so much more in your book about things that I wouldn't have even thought are part of a puberty conversation, but it is important that we know about it. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think We're just like, do I need to even understand this stuff? Thank you for framing it that way. And thank you for asking that. Because when we go into classrooms and teach classes, parents are often terrified that the only thing we're covering is sex and that we're covering sex. And so often we're talking about using soap in the shower. I mean, you know, sex is a a very important but very small piece of the much bigger conversation about growing up and being safe and healthy. So the path through conversations 
around puberty and education throughout puberty, it begins with basic tenets of hygiene and sleep and nutrition and exercise and consent in the form that has nothing to do with sex, but consent in the form of if you want to braid my hair, please ask me, right? Or if you want a bite of my sandwich, please ask me. There's so much laying of the groundwork and foundational work that needs to be done before we can talk about what people do with sexually mature bodies. And this is not to minimize the conversation about sex. We have two very, very detailed chapters about sex, STIs and STDs, contraception, porn. They they really cover the gamut of what kids and the adults in their lives need to be talking about and thinking about. But it's a corner of the conversation. Our goal is to take a dreaded topic and to reveal it for what it is, which is it's a stage of life that 100% of all people go through. And so we might as well enjoy it, engage with each other about it, flip it positive where we can, and educate each other with good factual information. I mean, there are chapters that we really debated, including, I mean, we have a chapter on youth sports over specialization. It's one of the longest chapters of the book, either that or STIs, STDs, and contraception. Take your pick. Part of what we're trying to model for our audience is the way that puberty intersects with every aspect of a kid's life. It's not just genitals or breasts or growing bigger or gaining weight. It's every element of their lives. And that 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 the intersection is on adults to recognize and to support in a kind of an interdisciplinary way rather than like a singular targeted way. And I think in that recognition, it comforts kids because they might be like, oh, I get that like I don't fit in my pants anymore, but I don't get like what's happening on the playground and recess that feels super different to me. And we want people to feel empowered to have like those multitudes of conversations with kids, as opposed to just, as we say, it's not the talk. And as Amy Lang says, it's not just the talk. It's many, many, many talks over time. Yeah. I love that you brought up the youth sports over specialization chapter that I've never seen that in a book before. I've heard people talk about it. I've experienced not personally, but seen friends whose kids have, it's been complicated as part of their identity journey and all of the things. So I really appreciated that. And I think that's one of the things I liked so much about the book is there were a lot of surprises like that. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is also part of the experience. And also introducing me to terms like Chesney and Butney because I have never heard of those things before. So you have a whole chapter, acne, backne, chesney, and buttony. Can you just say a word or two about that? I never had this conversation with my kid. Oh, yeah, we can say a word or two. I mean, right? Zits on the butt, buttony, zits on the back, backne. And kids have named these things because they deserve naming, because they exist and they exist in spades. But if we don't name them and and help people understand them, and help people address them with the kids in their lives, then they become either shameful or secretive. You want to hide it. And listen, the oil glands are the oil glands, and pores are pores, and bacteria are bacteria. And when those three things get together, they really like to have a party, and they like to cause acne, and it can show up 
on your face or on your chest or on your back or on your butt or on all of them, or they can roll out at different times in different places. And it's all part of a very anticipated experience through adolescence. And if you don't name it, kids' default place to go is, it's only me. I am the only one. And so being really specific about this stuff is actually super helpful. A, because developmentally, they're better in the details and in the in the specificity of things. But B, because then they don't feel alone in it. Like, oh, there are other people who get pimples on their butt? Oh, I feel so much better. I'm not the only one. Debbie, I'm curious if the term manscaper was new to you also. No, I have... Only because I watch a lot of reality television. (laughs) I did know that term. There was another term that you said was your favorite new term in writing the book, a situationship, I think. Oh, Oh, yes. The best. The best. That was from... That was from our interns. We did an episode on the Puberty Podcast with a group of our interns who are, many of them wrote these essays in the book as well. And they introduced us to the term situationship because the current mores around sexual relationships, romantic relationships, hookup culture are so amorphous and confusing and almost impossible to define, not just for adults, but for the kids themselves that they now have this term, which is like a term about not being a term, right? A situationship could mean any number of things. And even the kids themselves couldn't really agree on how to define it in any, you know, it's all contextual. It all depends on what other factors are. And that's really important to understand about what's going on for kids these days in terms of their relationships. Like, We think we don't understand it, but also they will admit to not being totally clear on it themselves. I don't mean to frame it this way, but it's kind of a power play with your kids when you can drop a word like situationship. When I first started using that term with my kids, they were like, oh, mom, how'd you know about that word? Oh, let's talk about it now. You know, it, it opens up a conversation or they roll their eyes deeply and then you know you're in. But situationship is a great one because it defines the new generation of dating. And there is almost no chance that the primary adult audience of this book lived an adolescence that involved situationships. It may have involved some version of a situationship, but they didn't use that language. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, 
monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com club. That's tiltparenting.com club. I hope to see you on the inside. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. So I just want to go back to something you said earlier that if we're not talking about it and we're not naming it, that our kids might feel they're the only ones. I think there also can be a lot of shame surrounding things. And that resonated so deeply because especially within the neurodivergence space, like that is something my work has been really focused on is talking openly about all the things and not having a disability or a neurodivergence be a good or a bad thing. It is what it is. And let's just talk about it because there is so much shame or what's wrong with me or I'm broken. So I really appreciate that. And I'm wondering, knowing the listeners of this show, and I've heard from so many parents that their kids have a hard time engaging in conversations about things, especially about getting older, that can be really uncomfortable for a lot of differently wired kids. It can trigger insecurities and there's a lot of kids who are just like shut down at the thought of having a conversation about body hair or any of those things. So generally speaking, how do you encourage parents whose kids might be really reluctant to engage in dialogue? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different conversations to have with kids this age and over this span of years that we like to encourage people to like start in a comfortable space. If your kid is like, doesn't want to talk about the names of their genitals and like how to care for them in the shower. Okay. So don't start there. Start with like stinky feet or start with washing faces or start with friendships or start with how their brain is developing over time, right? Go with the things that feel comfortable to that kid because what you're doing is you're building trust with them And you're building the skill of having conversations about trickier or less comfortable topics so that by the time you get to the harder ones, the ones that they're really shying away from or covering their ears or leaving the room when you want to have them, then you've kind of been like, hey, remember when we talked about washing your feet? Well, this is a similar conversation and that didn't go so badly, right? So like, 
I think we can spend a couple minutes on this. The kids who are resistant, and we hear about this from all parents, that they really struggle about the way in. They feel like their kids don't want to talk about X, Y, or Z, and they just feel like their kids are really shut down. And some of that can be hormonal, right? Some of that, the silence, the distance can be hormonal. And as Wendy Mogul said when we had her on the podcast, she wrote Blessings of a Skin Knee and is just really a guru in the parenting space. She said, be enchanted with their enchantment. So if they want to talk about Fortnite or Roblox or sports statistics, talk to them about that stuff. Sit and be with them in that stuff. And then there will be opportunities, little moments to find a way into smaller conversations about big, important topics. I would just add that if you can normalize some basic anatomical language, then having conversations that involve basic anatomical language become easier. So the first few times you start to use the word vagina instead of vajayjay or hoo-ha, right? It's awkward. It's awkward for the person who's using the word. It's awkward for the person who's receiving the word. And then if you just keep doing it, it becomes a matter of course. And you've proven by doing Instead of saying what you're going to do, you've just done it, and you've essentially just kicked open the door an inch. And if you can keep doing that, then slowly but surely, the conversations that are truly terrifying to some kids and some adults, those conversations become more benign because the language is not presenting such an obstacle. And Debbie, I just want to make one point piggybacking on Cara talking about anatomically correct language. We know that the research tells us that kids who know the correct terminology for their body parts are less likely to be victims of sexual predators because it says to a sexual predator, oh, someone is talking to their kid, someone is talking to this kid about their body and their body parts and how they work and this isn't a good kid to consider grooming. And I I don't, we don't like to be fear-based and we don't like to spend a lot of time in this area because it's frightening for people. And we like to stay constructive and positive and optimistic, but this is a really important point, particularly for this population because they are at higher risk. And so making sure that kids have ways to communicate their knowledge of their genitals and knowledge of their body parts is really protective and really helpful, not just in the doctor's office, but out in the wider world when they are encountering people who are not their trusted adults. Thank you for that. As you're saying that, I'm taking a deep breath. You do have a lot of reminders about how we can regulate ourselves to have these conversations. Can you talk about that? I mean, there's some great strategies that help your brain simply quiet and reset. We all know that when the temperature is high, Tina Payne Bryson talks about this a lot. Decision-making becomes faulty when the temperature is high. So how do you cool the situation? How do you cool yourself? And they're very simple strategies. Breathing is probably the simplest and most accessible to everyone. So Everyone is capable of counting to 10 and taking a couple of slow breaths. And there is very clear science that that 
instantly rewires the brain in the moment and allows you to proceed through a conversation or a situation in a different way. So I've done it for years now. And occasionally my kids will send me to take a couple of breaths and get to 10 because it's so effective and I'll do the same for them. But that's just one little example. And I mean, also, Car can only do it in her special car voice. But if you want to buy yourself some time, if you're like shocked by a kid's question or comment, or you're super angry by something a kid says, Car, will you do it? That was so interesting. What made you think of that? Or that is so interesting. What made you say that? It's it's what Vanessa calls getting curious. And it is a great way in to narrow the scope of what's being asked or flung at you at any given moment. And it's like totally fake chill. Like No, Vanessa, it's so genuine. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that question about 69 is so interesting. What made you say that? You just buy yourself some time and you also, and this is really important, is you find out where the hell that comment or question is coming from. I mean, the stuff kids come out with, like there are 20 different ways you could respond and 15 of them are totally off base. And until you figure out where the question or comment is coming from, you're not going to be all that useful. So we do like to delay a little bit. We do like deep breathing. We do sometimes like leaving the room and just like taking a break right? And this is something I'm sure you talk about in other contexts, Debbie. I mean, sometimes you just need to remove yourself from the situation in order to like do no harm and say something you're going to end up really regretting. But then you need to come back. And if you press pause on a conversation, you need to come back. And it's so tempting to just let it sit and let time pass and not revisit. But whether it's a heated moment or not, if you have left a string hanging go back and tie up as best you can that string. I know, Vanessa, in the context of puberty, puberty it's a really bad pun. (laughs) I didn't mean it that way, but I knew you were going to take it there. (laughs) I was like, she's never used that analogy before. I didn't take it there. I always go there, there. Debbie. That's the most important thing to know about me. If someone's going to go there, it's going to be me. That's great. Well, I have to say, I love all those tips for parents in the moment. We've talked about having like your bank teller voice, like, oh, you know, so I try to envision a bank teller. Mm. And I also, first of all, having that script is really helpful. And I think listeners maybe just jot that down, hit rewind, go back and jot that down, because there are going to be things that come up where you could really benefit from saying that. But also giving yourself permission to just say, I don't I actually don't know the answer to this. And so that you can, again, take a break, gather the information and then go back. So I can actually feel like thinking about certain conversations where I, I get triggered in my body, my nervous system, like, and then I, in my brain, I'm like categorizing, this is an opportunity I don't want to screw up. I have my own like baggage of trauma around this. Like there's so much going on. Oh, I was just going to say, there are a couple of guaranteed 100% going to be asked questions that you should probably be prepared for, like your sexual history and your drug and alcohol use history. So give that some thought over, I don't know, the first decade of your kid's life, but really think about at some point, they're going to spring those on you. And you do not, as Vanessa says all the time, you do not have to share your entire 
past history. You do not have to download everything. There are ways, and Vanessa can do a great line about how to say you're not going to share, but don't lie. Never lie. Vanessa, you want to do your line that you usually do? Yeah. I mean, I like to say, because my daughter, when she was 10, asked me how old I was when I lost my virginity. And I was like, deer in headlights. Luckily, it was in a dark room and she was going to bed. But I said to her, somehow, I came up with this in my shocked moment. I said, I'm really glad you feel comfortable asking me that question. I'm actually going to choose not to answer it right now because it's not an appropriate thing for us to talk about at your age. But maybe when you're older, if you want to ask me again, I might find the right moment to talk about it with you. And you know, it's that principle, Debbie, over and over of validating a question, validating curiosity while still being allowed to set a boundary and say like, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about this. I'm not going to talk to you about that. But as Carr said, do not, do not lie. I also really feel like these kinds of conversations are wonderful practice for understanding, kids understanding that you're human and that you had a life before them, but that it's not all an open book. And what that teaches them is actually they have a right to privacy too. Because the age that our kids are growing up in, the digital age, they don't feel so much right to privacy. And so showing them, hey, I have boundaries about what's public and what's private, and therefore it's okay for you to have those boundaries, I think is a really useful thing for this generation. Agreed. Before you said that, I had written down the word modeling, because I do think it is really important for us to always be showing our kids how we do set boundaries, how we take care of ourselves in difficult moments, like all of those things. So I love that. There's so much we could talk about, and we can't go through every chapter. And so we're not going to do that. I'm going to really encourage listeners to check out if you have a child who it doesn't even matter how young they are going to be going through puberty. I've got a 19 year old and I still got so much out of this book. So I'm going to encourage listeners to go check out this is so awkward. I'll have links in the show notes page. But is there Anything that we didn't touch upon that you would want to make sure that listeners take away from this conversation? You know, you do such a beautiful job of sort of circling a whole topic and then diving deep. There's nothing you didn't hit on, but there's one thing I want to reemphasize, which is you're going to mess up. It's okay. Take a do-over. Tell them you messed up, take the do-over, whether they're 9 or 19 or 29, it doesn't really matter. Their brain's not fully developed yet anyways. They need us, right? For much, the, the runway is longer and longer and longer than we ever anticipated. And we need them. We need open communication with them. We can't do our job without them telling us what's going on. So, Talk about modeling. Put yourself out there and show them that it's okay to make yourself a little bit vulnerable to these conversations so that they'll do the same with you. Yeah. And I would just piggyback on that to say, if you're entering a tough conversation, a conversation that feels tough for you, you can literally narrate for a kid. I am so nervous to talk about this. My pits are sweaty. My hands are sweaty. feel a little bit nauseous. But this is so important for me to talk to you about that I'm going to do it anyways. And that does two things. It shows kids that they're not the only ones who get nervous. They're not the only ones who worry about having tough conversations. And it shows them that we can move through 
that discomfort and that awkwardness, when something is really important, it's totally valuable and important to move through that and to have the conversation anyways. And that shows them that they are capable of doing it as well. There's nothing a kid loves more. In all of our workshops, the minute we tell them that we feel nervous too, they're like, the trust is there. The relationship has been built because when an adult admits to their own discomfort and their own nervousness, it's like a kid's favorite thing in the world. That and when an adult admits to making a mistake, those are their two top choices. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, both of you, for everything you shared today. Thanks for writing this book. Listeners, I'll have links to all the places you can connect with Vanessa and Cara, including their puberty podcast. Are there any like special places you would want to make sure that listeners check you out? On Instagram and TikTok, we wanted to put science-based, reliable information out on TikTok. So both on Instagram and on TikTok, they can find us. Get ready, folks at spilling the puberty. Yes, I did come up with that. Yes, Cara came up with that. P-U-B-E-R-T-E-A. Yes, that's another favorite pun. But it has great information for adults and for adolescents and tweens to get some some good info that has been vetted and is science-based. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you again both so much for this conversation. It was so insightful and I really appreciate everything you shared. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more, or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.